unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. All right, it is that time of year where I bring my baseball guys back in, Jay Cresswell and Joe Finger, as we get set to talk about the beginning of the, no, well, maybe not so fast there. Uh, but, 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 but before we get to that, I'm going to use a, a little term. Uh, we're going to talk a little inside baseball because the last time we did a show, after the show, uh, Joe um, had... Uh, Offered a kitten to my household, uh, so yes. he, so he or had as a, many as you like, Jeff. As many <laughs> as you <laughs> yes, uh, he, they they had a young lady cat show up at their house and had babies, and Joe and his wife uh, managed to uh, bring them all in, rescue them, find homes for everybody. And uh, so after the show last time, Joe showed showed us the orange kitten, and so the wife and I talked about it and. We uh, decided to add her to the household, but wait, there's more. Uh, <laughs> because they had not found a uh, home for the mother, we took her too. So, oh. Abby, Abby and Ziva, the new residents of the household here. So, and how did, how did you pick the name? Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, well, first, uh, I tried to uh, work some Atlanta Braves names in for the kitten. Uh, uh, the wife wasn't having any of that. No Pocaroba. No, no Pocaroba. I was going trying for Ozzy and, yeah. you know, all How that. About good the kitten. The kitten. <laughs> 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 yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, that would have been good, too. Yes. Um uh, so anyway, uh, she said, well, you know, she looks like an Abby. And I said, well, okay, uh, A.B., Atlanta Braves, I can live with that. <laughs> and, and, you know, I'm looking, I take any angle I can get. So, and she didn't really do it based off of you thinking NCIS, Abby. Wasn't really the thought behind that for her, at least that's what she says. Um, so when we offered to take the mom in, you know, I said, well, you know, we got a neighbor, Ziva. It just, it just works. Absolutely. So, absolutely. So that's how. Well, how we, are Abby and Ziva? Abby and Ziva are great. Um, I will uh, probably pull them out and show them to you after we get done with the podcast. But uh, uh, Abby is resting. She, uh, we got her fixed yesterday. So, uh, yeah, her mom is actually very young. Her mom is about eleven months now. Um, so not even a year old yet. So, wow. There you go. So. Cat talk. Uh, <laughs> we, are cat, we are cat people. That's, that's true. <laughs> so, so thanks to Joe, my household grew. Uh, Thank you, Jeff. I mean, we didn't know what we were going to do. We already had three cats of our own. So we, for about two months, we had, uh, let's see, five, um, nine cats in this house, uh, properly <clears throat> separated, but still. And we knew, we, you know, somebody has got to help us out here. So glad you were able to do that. There you go. So, Jay, after the show, Joe will probably find another pet in his neighborhood to offer you. <laughs> a hedgehog would be great. <laughs> a hedgehog. <laughs> I'll see lots, what I can do. Lots of those roaming, <laughs> lots of those roaming around Orlando. Yes. <laughs> so Never you, know. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, because there's no baseball to talk about, right? Because here we are, you know, uh, the, the lockout has extended into spring training now we're canceling regular season games what are we doing here i mean it's just you know it's hard to pick a side in this because i think both sides are 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 you know greedy yes uh, you know there's plenty of money to go around uh but boy this is the equivalent of you know driving the car off the cliff for the sport of baseball i don't know give me your thoughts guys joe go ahead all right. Well, you know, you're right, Jeff. I mean, it's on one level, it's hard to choose a sympathetic character in this drama. We've seen this play out before in our lifetime more than a few times. Um, but yeah, I've been doing a little research and I'm thinking, let me, let me see what the heck is going on, because I cannot make sense of it just by the quick sound bites that you typically hear. The owners are greedy. The players are greedy. Don't they know we just came through a pandemic? And all of that may be true. Um, but I, having 
digested so many statistics today that I <laughs> felt like I was back in school. I actually find myself much more sympathetic to the players now than I perhaps would have been a week ago when I must confess I had only kind of a maybe a general awareness of what some of these issues were. I mean, you know, we're baseball fans, but I don't I don't routinely keep up with all of the nuances of what's going on in the labor relations field until it begins to bubble up as we get closer to, you know, well, the lockout in December and now. And takes our product away from us. <laughs> it takes our product yes. away from us. That's right. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's an interesting um, triangle here. You've, you've got a um, an ownership group. You've got the employees who are the product in this case. Uh, they're not really selling the product. They are the product. And then you then you have the fans like us. Who, who, you could say, well, where would we any of us be without the fans? Well, where would any of us be without the players? Yeah. Um, where would any of us be without the owners? Well, we could bring in 30 competent business owners to run it. if They had the money to do it. Yep. But I don't think you could bring in the next 1,200 best Major League Baseball players without a precipitous drop-off in the quality uh, of the game. So uh, it's interesting. By the numbers um, – you know, it's a $10 billion industry. Uh, revenue, despite the pandemic, is up about 40% from where it was 10 years ago, which is about two collective bargaining agreements ago, each, each being about five years. Uh, the luxury tax, and let us I will just call it a salary cap because I essentially believe that's what it's used as. Uh, the salary cap or the luxury tax has gone up 18%, but revenue is up 40% over the past four seasons and that's pre-pandemic, average salaries have gone down. Yeah. Payroll has gone down by about 4% during that time. Uh, at the same time, uh, these mega, almost unfathomable $300 million plus guaranteed contracts to the super elite free agents, that's pretty, going, pretty much still going strong. It's no longer considered an outlier, I guess, statistically, although, you know, it's still, I have my hard time. The average person has a hard time wrapping your head around it. So you could, you could, I think the players could make a pretty good case that what we see is a really a concentration of the wealth in the super small percentage of the elite free agent athletes. Uh, the average free agent um, signing is less now than what it was five years ago on average. Um, and franchise values have continued to skyrocket. So players, I think, could make a pretty strong case that in terms of what percentage of the total cut they're getting, it's actually been going, actually been going down. Yeah. And if I were on the on the you know on their side, that's exactly the case I would be arguing. But again, to the average person, uh, we I don't think the average person looks at percentages. I think they look at raw numbers. And when you're talking yes. about a an uh, average starting salary of $700,000, it's hard to elicit much sympathy for someone like that. But if you look at it in terms of percentages, what we're seeing in baseball is not dissimilar to what we've seen in some other industries. And I think you could even argue that it's not dissimilar to what we're seeing in our culture as a whole. So you could get into some, some really far ranging analogies to what's going on in baseball, perhaps it's representing a microcosm of what we're seeing in society at large, or at least I think you could make a plausible case for that. So that that's kind of where my head's at on it right yep. now. It's been really, I must say it's been really interesting to look at, look at some of these numbers that I've, you know, honestly was not that familiar with just a few days ago. Seriously, about halfway through your spiel there, Joe, I like a light bulb went off in my head and I even used the word microcosm that this is what's happening just in general that the few guys at the top are making all the money and the others are, and I'm using this in quotes, suffering because <laughs> of it. And therefore, yes, they're suffering for at least yeah. $700,000 a year, but they're the, you know, the, it's going down though. It's, it's relative. Like you said, if you look at percentages, that's going down and, you know, I'll lead off with probably in every other work stoppage, you know, I'll say this in public because I'm hiding in my living room here. Um, I usually side with the owners because they're the owners. They own the team. You work for them. This time, nope, sorry. I just think, you know, they're 
probably just trying to pull a fast one. That was one of the headlines on SI.com. You know, the owners tried to sneak things past the players. And, you know, who knows? Maybe that's just social media saying that. But come on. Come on. There's way too much money on the table for both sides to be doing this. And, you know, frustrated as I am, I can sit here and like we have done in the past and argue about the designated hitter and infield shifts and putting guys on second base, blah, blah, blah. That's not the that's not that's just details at this point. Let's play baseball. Then we can worry about the universal designated hitter, how many batters you have to face and all that stuff. It's just so sad. Yeah. And, you know, and it's also it looks to me, I mean, you know, I take the player side because the owners are the ones who decided to halt the proceedings. Yes. yes. Uh, you know, if the players go on strike, then I probably take the owner side. So, yep. uh, so in that respect, I, I, I go with the players and then, you know, is this really a concerted effort by the owners to break the union at any and all cost? Now, <laughs> well, you know, I don't know if they're that thick to think that they could do that. <laughs> You know, I would certainly be uh, someone who's very much in favor of a hard salary cap and salary floor, um, mainly because unless you're, you know, a New York team, Chicago, the Dodgers and a handful of others, you know, it's a miracle. The Tampa Bay Rays are a miracle every year. It just shows how good their front office is and how good they are drafting and strategy. And the A's on occasion, the Royals were a one year fluke. You know, the Brewers seem to contend every year with not a very large payroll in a smaller market. The Cardinals are in a smaller market, and yet they contend all the time. So it can be done. But I just think that, you know, we're giving up on half of the teams every year by just letting the Dodgers sign people to millions of dollars of contracts. And I know there's a penalty for doing that, but just put a cap on there and then we don't worry about penalties. And then teams like the Pirates and the Marlins will have to spend $100 million on payroll and not 40 or 50, and they'll be more competitive. Yeah, putting a salary basement or on, on the bottom yes. end is, is sort of an overlooked issue, I think, in all of this, because most teams don't even come close to being uh, yeah. triggered by the luxury tax. And we've talked few. about this before. I'm sorry, Joe, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, yeah. I was going to say a good example of that. Yeah. Look at hockey. All right, 2004, 2005, we lost the whole season uh, because of a lockout, not a strike, a lockout by the owners. But the economics were completely upside down. You know, there was no salary cap. So we got a salary cap and a salary floor. And so what that does now is almost every year, someone else wins the Stanley Cup. Almost every year, your team has a chance to make the playoffs and make a run at it. It doesn't happen that way in baseball. The NFL, look at the parity. Okay? Uh, even the NBA, although nobody can explain to me their salary cap system, but, you know, the teams learn how to use it to their advantage, and it's competitive every year. Also, I think um, that – beyond just looking at the numbers, there's always this uh, part of the story that we don't know about based on the personalities involved. We, you know, we see this, the numbers and the arguments on a very um, logical kind of basis, um, you know, but there's a lot of historical animosity and most labor teams are comprised of alpha males and when bad blood gets in the system, it is not soon exorcised. Yeah. And the players, I think, kind of came in pissed off to begin with uh, based on some things that have happened in recent years. And I think it's widely felt that in the last CBA, the players didn't come out so well on that. That Correct. MLB really got, got their goose on that one. And they were bound and determined this time to uh, present a much stronger Front and so I think that you know that those, those sort of psychological undercurrents kind of inform what we see on the on the surface. I mean, I've seen that in just being a member of a union, uh, a um, teachers union here in Orlando, yes. knowing some of the personalities that are involved, and I get pissed off just hearing about some of the nonsense that goes on 
at the negotiating table and human nature would suggest, okay, you want to play that way, then we can play that way. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's, the owners uh, are going to be hurting at all. You know, the owners true. talk about, uh, uh, oh, we've been losing tons of money in the past couple of years. I don't doubt that with the COVID, you know, that may be true, but I've yet to see any verifiable numbers from them. So what's their solution? Let's do a lockout. Okay. Yeah. Well, you're going to continue to lose money if that's the case. Yep. So they've got, they've got plenty of money stored up to, to weather this. And I don't think they're sweating it too much at this point. And the Atlanta Braves made a lot of money this last season. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know, I mean, and they need to give it to Freddie Freeman. Yes, they do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. Um, so, you know, now we're at the point now where they've, they've canceled the first couple of series of the regular season, you know, at what points, do they have to shelve a season? And then if there's a significant number of games, I know a lot of people say, well, I'm done with baseball. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to utter those words because I'll right. come back if it's there, you know, regardless, yeah. regardless of the outcome. But, you know, it's at what point though, there are going to be people who become disenfranchised from it. And it's going to affect, you know, the, the popularity of the game and things like that. So what happens? I mean, do they have to you know go back to a steroid era to generate interest again? I mean, this is insane. The um, I agree with what you said, Jeff. Uh, baseball is sucking as far as appeal to the casual fan compared to the other sports, and this is only going to make it worse. Maybe temporarily, but this is only going to make it worse. I mean, you know, my favorite team is one of the worst teams in baseball, but I pay for the baseball package, and sometimes I wonder why. But I, it's because I love baseball. You know, I may flip on the Oakland-Seattle game late at night because I'm sitting on the couch because I love baseball. And that, you know, you're never going to keep the casual fan doing what they're doing now with a lockout and all the, this politics going back and forth. I mean, I'll be back just like you said, but – Man, they're just killing the golden goose. Yeah, you know, it's uh, – and I've been content. You know, we've had discussions in previous shows about uh, what changes we would be open to in terms of uh, speeding up the game and so forth. And I've always kind of been in there, and I think probably all of us to some extent is kind of a traditionalist, not somebody necessarily jumping on the bandwagon to let's change this, let's change this, let's change this. But that's a reflection of our own past. Yes. Baseball's audience is skewed more and more older and white. And uh, what yep. do old white guys do? Well, we do what we do. Um, we complain. <laughs> <laughs> I saw something interesting today. You know, the average top length of a game, I think, was like three hours last year or something. I saw something today, an, an article talking about something Jackie Robinson said in 1958, the year I was born. I think Jay, you were probably around that same time too, but yep, one year later, he was, he was complaining that at just a little over two hours per game, he thought baseball was boring <laughs> and it was too long. And then he more enjoyed playing football and basketball. And I don't know if somebody caught him on a bad day or something, but uh, I found that very interesting. Uh, and that was, that was a generation Oh. And and who's going to stop that trend? You know, how is <laughs> yeah. that trend going to stop? In our lifetimes, are we going to have pitchers yeah. going nine innings and <laughs> not shaking off signs and, you know, spitting and uh, walking around the I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, lots of lots of things that that that, that need improvement, but if if like you said Jay, this is get back to where we have an existing product and then we can worry yes. about the other stuff. I mean, uh, yeah, you got to get, you got to get back on the field. Right? Yes. Here, here's an example. And this is not done consciously. Okay. I just took a drink out of my cup that I bought at uh, PNC park and it celebrates Forbes field and three rivers stadium. Okay. And behind me, right there <laughs> is a framed drawing of all three of those parks that I got for Christmas one year. I mean, that's how, again, old white guy, baseball, but that's what matters. You know, just get on the darn field and play. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. A, it is. A, of course, uh, uh, Jay, you make the annual trek to Florida for spring training every year. Uh, it got and yep. whatnot, and you know, now you now have another trip on the horizon with no baseball. <laughs> yeah, I'll be there in sixteen days. Who's counting? Um, <laughs> and you know, I'm there. Still, may be a spring training game or two. But that's like if they get it done today and they go to camp and then they start playing games. You know. But, and, and I hate to say this, I've already looked at all the college baseball schedules throughout Florida when I'm there, and I love college baseball. So I, this just may be the college baseball trip for me, and, and that's fine. Yeah, that's a good, good alternative. Yeah, matter of fact, I've already planned on replacing baseball with college baseball and softball. You know, yes. <laughs> yes. A, there are things to watch. Uh, yeah, six, 16 days from today, I have tickets for the Twins and Red Sox at uh, Hammond Stadium in Fort Myers. And I suspect that that, that ticket will not get used at this That's point. That's so sad. Yeah. 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 I was looking forward to it. Yeah. As well. well, before we get off the topic of baseball, um, and Jay, you'll appreciate this uh, as well, because uh, on uh, another one of my series of podcasts, uh, whenever uh, I, uh, Adam Eaton or Eric Lopez uh, m- m- drop a name, I uh, ring the bell. <laughs> so, uh, Jay, tell us about your your lunch with baseball legend Ferguson Jenkins. All right. The, the backstory <laughs> is as such. You know, I live in Dallas and. Brad Sham is the longtime radio voice of the Dallas Cowboys and a wonderful man, I might add. And he grew up in Missouri, a fan of the Cubs. And his very, very favorite player was Ferguson Jenkins. And Fergie lives here in North Texas. Now, it just so happens that a friend, a mutual friend of ours, his name is Dick Smith. He used to be the president of the Fort Worth Cats who were an independent team, and before that they were a Dodgers farm team. We're talking Tommy Lasorda, Walter Alston, Wes Parker, and those guys. All right. Wow. Well, Brad always wanted to meet Fergie, so he emailed Dick and said, can you arrange a lunch so I can meet Ferguson Jenkins? Because Dick and Fergie are best friends. This was in November, all right? And it was hard to make it happen during football season because Brad basically has one day off during football season, during the week, and, and we couldn't make it happen. So I thought, you were gonna, old, I thought you were going to tell a joke about the day the Cowboys play is his day off. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> oh, that's great. So well, a couple weeks ago, Dick emails me and says, are you free Monday for lunch? And usually Monday is no, but Monday happened to be President's Day, and I was off. So I said, sure. And so... We met at a great barbecue place in West Southwest Fort Worth, Railhead Barbecue. And so it was Dick Smith, uh, me, a friend of Dick's, Ferguson Jenkins, and Brad Shane. And Brad, of course, wore a Cubs shirt. <laughs> and the conversation was phenomenal because Fergie, at age 78, first of all, is in fantastic shape, sharp as can be, great stories. Nice to everybody. You know, people were coming up to him. You know, oh, Mr. Jenkins, it's an honor to meet you. Can I shake your hand or take? He took every picture, shook every hand, signed every autograph. Just a wonderful person. And Brad got to pick his brain about Cubs and baseball. And a couple of the things we learned, I did not know that Ferguson Jenkins spent three off seasons playing for the Harlem Globetrotters. Now, I knew Bob Gibson spent one season doing that, but Fergie told us, There are five guys in the Baseball Hall of Fame that have done that, and I can't remember the fifth one. The other two were uh, Lou Brock and Ernie Banks. Hmm. And you'll love this. So Fergie, the offseason of 67, 68, 69, played for the Harlem Globetrotters. They literally barnstormed. They never had a night off. But he made $14,000 in those three months, which was more than the Cubs were paying. I can believe that. <laughs> basically, those guys were just there to have a name on the marquee so people would come to see them. But they were great athletes, too. Yeah. And, you know, they would do the skits where he throws the confetti and stuff like that. But here's another one that nobody knows. At least I don't think anybody knows. And I'll bet it isn't true today. Back then, the Harlem Globetrotters played their games with a basketball that was slightly smaller, which made it easier to make all the shots. Hmm. 
Hmm. I have no idea. Okay. And Fergie is from Canada. His first love was hockey. In fact, in the 50s as a kid, he played hockey with Willie O'Ree, the first black player in NHL history. The Bruins just retired his number a few weeks ago. And we said, well, why didn't you keep playing hockey? And Fergie said, not that good. (laughs) And then he said, so so it was baseball, right? And he goes, no, basketball. He said, well, why didn't you play basketball? Not that good. (laughs) And so he took up baseball and he wanted to play first base so he could play every day. But they noticed right away he had a phenomenal arm and they made him a pitcher. And the Phillies drafted him for the rousing figure of $6,000 a year. And so then he ended up with the Cubs and he came here to Texas. And I think he ended up with the White Sox or someone else along the way, or maybe the Red Sox. He told the stories. There were just so many I can't remember. But anyhow, Fergie's in the Hall of Fame. He's in the Canadian Hall of Fame. He's in a third Hall of Fame. And I can't even remember what it is. But it was two hours, beer and barbecue, with Ferguson Jenkins and Brad Sham. It was a wonderful time. Jay Cresswell's Lunch with the Stars. Well, wow. <laughs> was, was Fergie the one who told you about the deflate gate basketball scandal with the Globetrotters? Or what, what was yes, the source Fergie of that? Fergie told us that. And he he's from Canada. That. Yes. He's from Canada. Canadians do not lie. Uh, so you can yes, absolutely. take it to the bank, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's very interesting. That, that must have been super fun, Jay. It, it was. Um, I was nervous. Um, you know, I've known Brad for 16 years or 17 years, so I'm not nervous around Brad. But uh, Fergie's a baseball Hall of Famer. And when I was growing up, my two favorite pitchers were Bob Gibson and Ferguson Jenkins. And uh, I first told our friend Dick, look, I'm just going to sit there and be quiet. I, I want Brad to have his moment, and I just want to hear what this is. And Dick says, well, that's nice because you're going to pay anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and well worth it, I might add, right? <laughs> yeah, especially because I didn't pay, Dick paid. <laughs> but it was, it was well worth it and just a wonderful time. I'm about to say, yeah, to be a fly on the wall. Would have, oh, and I should have brought know. here to the camera, I have a – personalized autographed baseball from Ferguson Jenkins that says Hall of Fame 91. That's awesome. That is, is. Uh, that is, that is outstanding. Gotta okay. love that. Gotta love that. So, uh, whew. yeah. I've, Jeff, you and I have got to round up somebody to have lunch with who I don't know. I'm sure we can beat that, but yeah, uh, that's That's a tall order. Yeah. Maybe, a, maybe somebody that used to play for the Orlando twins or something, you know, maybe. <laughs> well, didn't a bunch of major league catchers play, uh, High school ball in like Altamont Springs. Uh, yeah. Joe Oliver. Yeah, Joe yeah. Oliver. Yeah. Um, why does his name is Sabi? Uh, Same high Ver- school. Veritech. Yes. Jason yes, Veritech. Yeah. yeah. Who my, yes. my wife met at Disney and got an autograph and showed, and he, he signed their scorecard from a spring training game we went to. So she was thrilled about that. She still talks about that, but I wasn't there for that. So, um, I don't really know anybody famous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at this point. Joe, Joe will get this. I wonder what Tim Laudner is doing. <laughs> oh, Timmy Laudner. <laughs> yeah, the Southern League champion Orlando Twins. I think he hit like yes. 40 home runs that year. He, he hit the most home runs in baseball that year because that was a strike year. Oh, that's right. What was that? Uh, 80, 80, 83? 80, 82, 82. They had the split season. 81, yes. 81, 81, 81, 81, 81. That was a, that was a scandalous year in baseball, wasn't it? Yes. Because yeah. it had first half and second half. They winners. did like the minor leagues. Yeah. Yes. And I think two teams that had the best overall record didn't even make the playoffs. I think that the Cardinals correct. were one of them. Yeah. Yes. And somebody else. I'm thinking, wow, that, that was crazy. All right, I know I'm getting us off track here, but I'll make this one even quicker. This no, is go another, ahead, please. No. This is another brush with greatness in Orlando story. It was, I don't know, 91, 92. I was at Orlando Airport at like 7 o'clock on a Saturday morning in the uh, Com Air wing, because back then all the Com Air flights just flew from Florida City to Florida City. I was waiting to pick up my sister who was flying in from Fort Lauderdale for the weekend, and I'm standing right in the middle staring all the way down the wing of the terminal there to see if anybody was getting off of planes. And it was, like I said, seven o'clock Saturday morning. Was, there was nobody there. 
And suddenly I felt a presence behind me and I turned around and about 18 inches behind me was Shaquille O'Neal. And he was staring at me from behind and I turned around and I went, ah, <laughs> <Did> one <laughs> of those. And he laughed and walked away. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and, 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 and if you have not seen him in person to see how large a human being he is, um, you know, back in those days, I would you know cover the magic in, in the locker room, and I swear I was afraid I was going to trip and fall inside his shoe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean they were ginormous, so it's like, yeah. yeah. So there you go. Um, so I wanted to get you guys thoughts on on recent sporting events because I've got a feeling the answer is the same as mine <laughs> when it comes to that. Did you watch any of the Olympics? Joe? No. No. I've watched uh, about five minutes of curling. Uh, I would flip by if I could find it on one of the nine different sources it was on, which I think is part of the problem. Being, part. being an old man. Because um, I'd flip by USA at seven in the morning, hoping to watch an NCIS rerun, and the Olympics would be on. And I would sit there, and if it was curling, I might watch it for five minutes. But I will tell you this, my favorite Olympic sport is hockey for the Winter Olympics. And since the NHL players weren't there, I really didn't care. Now, I, I cared about the women's hockey, but that, the gold medal game with the U.S. and Canada, was late at night, I think on a Sunday night. So I fell asleep on the couch and missed it. I didn't see any biathlon, speed skating, uh, snowboarding, you know, and I love the Winter Olympics, but I think part of it, first of all, was the hockey players. But I think the fact that it was on three or four different channels and other streaming options just diluted it for me. And, you know, as you get older, you have stuff to do yeah. and obligations. And, and it doesn't involve sitting in front of the television every night in prime time and watching the Olympics, whether they're live or not. Yeah, and, you know, I think a lot of the problem is, you know, we've dealt with so many of them lately being on the other side of the world. Yes. Uh, so, the, so the time zone kills, uh, you know, I, I have two or three other factors. I think, you you know, one, it's, you know, the IOC is so dirty. And, yeah, they're, and, they're worse and, than the NCAA. Yeah, uh, you know, and just basically, you know, thieves when it comes to, to money. Um, that, would, that would be one aspect. All the cheating that goes on. In, yeah. in in these sports is 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 a big black mark too, and then I would also say that you know the they've diluted the product by having the Olympics every two years. Uh, Agreed. You, you the every fourth year the Olympics was you know it made that year special, uh, and now also look at all the options you have. I mean you know back in the seventies when the Olympics was the the thing to watch. There was no ESPN. There was no Fox Sports. There was not a hundred other, you know, college basketball games, hockey games, all yeah. this stuff on TV at the same time. So, you know, they got a lot of things that are not going well for them in that respect. Agreed. Yeah, what, what you guys said. Yeah, pretty much. And I think part of it for me, maybe I grew up in the South. I mean, I wasn't involved in winter sports. I suspect that might have a little something to do with it because – even when I was a kid or a lot younger, I was much more interested in the summer Olympics. And even, you know, years ago, didn't really pay that much attention to the winter Olympics. And it's become so for all the things you just said, almost like a politicized, I almost feel like I'm watching the news more yeah. than I'm watching pure, pure athletics, unfortunately. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think I watched a single minute this year. I'm sorry to say. Mm. Uh, if you saw the, um, what some of the reporters who were there said, you know, how was the, how was China? How was Beijing? I don't know. We weren't allowed to do anything <laughs> or go anywhere. Yeah. Right. I mean, it was a beating. Uh, you know, I'm sure Mike Tarico was probably happy that he had to come back, you know, halfway through. Uh, but it, it, you know, it was not the same experience even for the reporters and the, and right. the writers. Yeah. Well, recently, uh, we also had the Daytona 500, and I'm not a big NASCAR guy. Now, I would say there was a time in the 90s when it was starting to 
inch its way into the mainstream just a little bit. You know, I I I, I probably watched and had a little more interest in it, but you know, yep. I've I've never been a diehard. Um, so I did not watch any of the race this year. Usually, I would flip in just for a moment or two, but I didn't have any issue to do that. And then once I read how the outcome happened, well, okay, they uh, they had to go to overtime. So they had, you know, a wreck at the end that forced them to run extra laps. And yep. so basically, you know, it, it's one of those deals where they have the same scripted finish every year. So what's the point of watching? Yeah, for four hours or whatever it is. Yeah. Now my question is when they, when they do the runoff or whatever they call it, is there a coin flip? And is there is there an advantage if you get the coin flip right? <laughs> because you, oh wait, that's another sport. <laughs> Here, here's another. You know, I didn't watch any of it. In fact, I didn't know it was happening until about halfway through the race. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm aware. And like you said, back in the '90s, you know, back when we were doing the Dick Trickle updates and stuff like that on the radio, I was into I was into it. And, you know, Daytona Speedway's right up the road. Well, I live 20 minutes from Texas Motor Speedway, where there's a couple, two or three races every year. And you know what? I didn't even know it was happening. Hmm. So no go on that one. You want to know when I thought about the Daytona 500? Just now? When, <laughs> when you... <laughs> well, when almost. <laughs> what, when is it? Is it this weekend? No. <laughs> when you... <laughs> When you asked earlier today <laughs> what sporting events we'd been watching, I'm thinking, you're not going to have me back on this show if this is a sports show. <laughs> I guess I don't watch that much sports. Well, it's every I don't know what I'm going right? to do now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Another sport I did not watch was the NBA All-Star Game. And I haven't watched that for, for many years anyway. Uh, so now, and now they even had the what they call the Elam ending, where I guess they have some yes. sort of formula in the, in the last quarter that uh, you have to hit a certain number on the scoreboard to win the game. And so if you're up by ten, you, you know if you have a ten point advantage, there's a certain number on the scoreboard. I don't know how the whole math works. I was told there'd be no math, um, <laughs> but. You know when when you when you see these scores like one sixty five to one sixty, yeah, and and explain that system to the to a casual fan. Yeah, they do what? <laughs> yeah, somewhere I I watched none of it. I, I don't I can't tell you the last time I did. I used to watch the three point champ, you know the skill competition when Larry Bird was in. So that ought to give you an idea. Um, but it's you know the NBA for the most part is one on five now. You know, they come down, they isolate, they give one guy the ball, and he takes a shot from somewhere, and everyone else watches it. The all-star game is that times 10. Mm. You know, there's no defense. So one of the things, this was after the Pro Bowl and the complaints about the Pro Bowl, um, make it worth their while to play defense. Give the winning team a million dollars apiece, you know, and the losing team gets nothing. Now, of course, the union wouldn't go for that, and I understand that. But at least give them some impetus to make effort. Uh, and we, you don't even bring it up. The Pro Bowl. This is I, I tuned it in for some for a minute, and I saw that, that you know they'd hand the ball, and as soon as someone got to them, they would blow the whistle. I never remember that happening, but I guess we've gradually gotten to that point. So just put flags on them. You know, then at least they, you know you can keep running. You know, and someone <laughs> can chase you down. I mean, I, you know, it's just awful. I did watch the Super Bowl. I have, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I did watch that. <laughs> you and a few other people, I think, uh, yes. watched that game. 111 million people. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But, but, but yeah. Uh, Joe, you have any thoughts on the NBA All-Star game and the NFL Pro Bowl? I, I haven't watched an NBA All-Star game in many years. And I don't watch much NBA regular season either. I don't either. Honestly. Nope. And we we're home to the team with the worst record in the league, I believe, right now. That doesn't help. <laughs> the only, no magic. <laughs> and the Pro Bowl, no, uh, not at all. I mean, it was here in Orlando for a few years. I so what? Yes. I mean, it, it made no difference. I mean, yeah. Well, they got in the Pro Bowl now. That yeah, they might as well not even play the game. They just give the yeah. guys their checks, and you know, yeah, the Pro Bowl. Yeah. 
I agree. Uh, I'll throw in a Super Bowl comment. Yeah. Here. Um, this was probably the first time in 20 some years that I didn't care who won or lost. So it made it easy for me yeah. to watch because yeah. if, if the Patriots are playing every year, I'm going to hate them and root against them and be unable to watch it as Tom Brady pulls it out at the end, you know, <laughs> and you know, I, I have no feeling you would think being a Steelers fan, I would hate the Bengals. Not really. For the most part, I've pitied the Bengals for 40 years. So I thought it was cool that Joe Burrow made it there. And despite having no offensive line and the way they came back and beat the chiefs and how well they played and the Rams, Aaron Donald went to my high school. So that's a reason to root for him, but also Matt Stafford. I, you know, wanted him to prove that it wasn't him in Detroit all those years. So it was entertaining. And despite that, I fell asleep at halftime and woke up with six minutes left just in time to watch them go, the Rams go down the field and score to win. Um, yeah. So I enjoyed it for once. I, I think it was the greatest playoff ser- uh, oh. season in the NFL that I've ever seen. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, and here we are, baseball's on strike, and the NFL is just coming off an amazing finish to their season. So there's, yeah, there's quite a, a, quite a dichotomy there. Yeah, yeah, good work. Yeah, there, yeah the, you know, in, in that divisional round, when every game came down to the end. Yes. Uh, and that's usually the best round of the playoffs anyway. Absolutely. Uh, but how do they, you know, I don't know how they top that unless of course they change the rules to overtime, <laughs> which I guess is <laughs> not what everybody's going to get a clamor for. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Uh, yeah. Good stuff there. So uh, talking about all the sports that we haven't been watching, um, Anything tickling your fancy of late? Uh, as far as you know, are you are you are you just like sick and tired of the baseball news and finding other things to do? What's what? What's the scoop? I, I'm still thinking about football. The Vikings have a new head coach. They got from the Rams. They got two guys from the Rams and a whole new regime in Minnesota. So I'm ready for football to start. If there's going to be no baseball, ready for the draft. Ready for the kind of the. This is going to be the year the Vikings win the Super Bowl. I go through this every year. I have been for the past 50 years. Uh, what's one more? <laughs> I, on a previous yeah, episode we're, we're of this show, uh, I remember asking, is this Mike Zimmer's last chance? And yes. all three of us thought no. And then it happened. And I wasn't surprised at the end either. Yeah, I really right. wasn't. Uh, I kept thinking, well, they're they're losing all these close games. They're going to start winning a bunch of them, and they never did. And um, it just got to the point where I said, yeah, I think the handwriting's on the wall. So, so, yeah. so now they're basically relying on a Sean McVay protege to uh, is he the guy that gets Kirk Cousins over the hump? You know, and and, and, and Kirk Good Cousins is he's such an enigma. I mean, yep. he's got a lot of numbers. You know, he has moments where he looks tremendous. And then other times you wonder what? <laughs> I don't know. I yeah, call that the Carson Wentz syndrome. Yeah. What was that again, Jay? The what? I call that the Carson Wentz syndrome. Carson <laughs> yeah. Wentz, yeah. You know, yes. he can be great. And then suddenly yeah. he has a brain fart yeah. and throws left-handed interceptions on his own goal line. <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 No. Yeah. Um, so Jay, the the Pittsburgh Steelers, I guess. Uh, so Brian Flores ends up on their coaching staff after his uh, dismissal yep. from Miami and subsequent lawsuit against the league. Uh, uh, I could not be more proud of my team uh, because the guy is qualified to be an NFL head coach, regardless yes. of what went on in Miami or with the Giants or any of the, or any of that stuff. He's totally qualified. And to have him as a defensive assistant and the outside linebackers coach, uh, especially right after they elevated Terrell Austin to defensive coordinator, I think those are two great moves. And, you know, the players will be answerable to those two and held accountable for the way they play. And I'm not so sure that was the case with Keith Butler as the defensive coordinator. Um, other things, you know, who's going to be their quarterback? Probably Mason Rudolph. Uh, they're not going to draft someone early because they have too many other things to fix. Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins. Oh, please. Please. Well, the latest rumor is Mitch Trubisky. Um, maybe Blake Hill's- Bortles. Blake Bortles is who you want. 
Yeah, or uh, Gardner Minshew is the other one. Who actually, actually, well. actually, Gardner Minshew is a better quarterback than Jalen Hurts is. He is. Absolutely <laughs> is. Yeah. Better stats. A uh, good leader, too, as a matter of fact. Yes. Uh, but they, they have offensive line problems. They have defensive line problems. They have inside linebacker problems. They, they're going to be light at safety and cornerback and wide receiver, and they need a backup running back. Other than that, everything's great. Um, but, you know, knowing them, they'll piece it together and, you know, be uh, nine and eight or 10 and seven again next year and on the precipice of a playoff spot. That's always a challenge. Uh, yes, uh, it is. Yeah. You know, you, and yeah, your, your defense will need to hold the other team to 10 points or less. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And not be 32nd in the league against the run. Yeah. That, uh, that, that's for sure. So, uh, You'll have to give me uh, what's the what's the talk on the Cowboys uh, after the uh, uh, the kind of flirtation of uh, you know was Mike McCarthy really on 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 the on the skids? The good news is Dan Quinn is back. Yes, uh, you know uh, absolutely. They, um, you know Kellen Moore is back, and I don't think Kellen Moore did anything to really extinguish distinguish himself. Correct. to be a head coach at, at this stage of, of, of his career. And then, oh, yeah, you know, maybe a year from now, Sean Payton's the head coach. <laughs> it's funny, you know, all the, the talk on Sports Talk Radio is that, you know, Jerry is holding Sean Payton and Dan Quinn over McCarthy's head. You know, like, you have to do it this year or, you know, and Jerry would never say that to him. But, I mean, that's what the, you know, the perception is that. And it's good that Quinn is back because he – turn that defense around from being a lousy defense. Of course, Micah Parsons helps. Um, But he turned them around instantly. And he is head coach material, as we know. And maybe, you know, in another year or so, he'll be the head coach here. He coached into a victory in the Saints game. Yes. Which which goes on Mike McCarthy's record, unbelievably. It does. It does, as a matter of fact. The the offense is the issue here. Um, Connor Williams... I believe he rated first in the league in run blocking and last in the league in, ta- in pass block, pass protection. First in holding, too. <laughs> yeah, yes, as a matter of fact. That was part of his name, holding Connor Williams. Um, you know, and it's come time to pay the piper with all the money they're giving to, you know, Zeke, who is like many running backs after years of getting hit. He's lost a step and he's hit out, I believe, is the way they used to say it. Mm -hmm. Cured the fumble problem, but he's hit out. And then we've got Amari Cooper, who is very, very talented and makes $20 million a year and would be enormous cap hit if they were to trade him. But it looks like they're going to have to and, you know, push some of that money forward. Um, Now they have a tight end problem because one is hurt and the other is like a restricted free agent. And all, all the callers this week talking Cowboys were saying that the tight ends are more important than Amari Cooper to the Cowboys offense. Now, those are callers and texters, okay? And then we have Dak. We know Dak is a top 10 quarterback. Is he a top five quarterback? Is his ankle not 100%? Is he making poor decisions with the ball? Um, what has happened to his pr- productivity and that's a question mark. Is that a product of the offensive line? What's the deal? So there are many questions on offense. And I think with Dan Quinn coming back, there are very few on defense. Yeah, no, Dak was a top five quarterback until that calf injury against the Patriots. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. He, he was never the same after that. Yep. And 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 the other thing, and, and this is kind of why I feel like, you know, you know, Kellen Moore was a, a genius the first part of the year. Yes. You know, he did not do things to, you know, it's almost like Denver broke them when, yes. when Vic Fangio, you know, yep. put his defensive wizardry on, it's almost like he broke Kellen Moore. <laughs> and, and I don't think they, I don't think they ever really got back into a, to a, to a decent rhythm unless they were playing a team in the NFC East. <laughs> and does that bring to light that uh, maybe Mike McCarthy will call some plays? You know, yeah. I mean, he came here and they made it clear that Kellen Moore was going to call plays. And McCarthy was OK with that because he was once an offensive coordinator and the head coach called plays and he hated it. And so he he doesn't want to put Kellen Moore in that position. But if they're not performing, what's going to happen? Yeah, 
Now to uh, pull the Jim Fossil, who <laughs> infamously took over the play calling from one Sean Payton with yes. the New York Giants. <laughs> yes. When they put all their chips in the middle of the table. Uh, good stuff there. So uh, you guys ready to do some TV themes? Absolutely. Yes, all right, we'll, we are. We'll take a quick break and we will do those after this. Central Florida, we're back. It's the second annual Apopka International Jazz Fest. Stars the iconic Jeffrey Osborne. Jeffrey Osborne. With special guest Hiroshima, saxophonist D. Lucas, and Grammy Award winner Nesta Torres. Saturday, March 19th at the luxurious Apopka Amphitheater. Early bird tickets on sale. For complete details and tickets, log on to ApopkaInternationalJazzFest.com. Jeffrey Osborne. Baby, stay with me tonight. Get your tickets Joe, your TV theme, very recognizable, is you're on mute. I'm on mute. That's not the name of the show, Jeff. Perry Mason. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. We all know that uh, that theme music to Perry Mason. Um, uh, actually, I didn't watch Perry Mason first go around because I was, I was just a little kid. You know, it yeah. ran on, uh, which is saying it must be pretty old, uh, ran on CBS from 1957 to 66, nine seasons. Raymond Burr, of course, played the uh, title character, the defense attorney who almost never lost, although I think he did lose a couple of times, but won on appeal. But essentially, he um, took a client on every week who had been charged with murder and got him off by breaking the case and embarrassing the prosecutor <laughs> once again. Hamilton Berger. <laughs> Hamilton Berger, played by William Tallman. Did not have uh, a good conviction rate. <laughs> no. Yeah, but you know what? You know what? He, he can say that he never sent a guilty man to death row. So yes. uh, <laughs> yes. he came close. He yeah. kept trying to, to the bitter end, but it, but it never happened. Uh, so I did a little bit of research uh, on the show. I knew a little bit of this. You know, it started off, um, you know, the the character Mason was created by Earl Stanley Gardner, great detective fiction writer. Um, It became a radio drama, even well before it would hit uh, CBS in the late 50s. Uh, It provided the inspiration for the long-running daytime soap opera, The Edge of Night, which I was a big fan of as a kid back in the 70s because it was a soap that talked more about cops and robbers and lawyers and stuff than the typical daytime drama. Um, but of course, Perry Mason himself became part of the, uh, the series um, self-titled series on CBS in 57 music was composed by a guy named Fred Steiner. Uh, it's known as the park Avenue beat. And this is what the Los Angeles times I think had to say about it uh, that it was a series that perfectly captured the essence of Perry Mason, sophisticated, but tough and a a great little piece of uh, music. And you can still see it in reruns today uh, in any number of sources. And every once in a while I'll tune in just to, uh, you know, kind of see what was going on. Great cast, uh, you know, police procedural, you kind of knew the way it was going to go. And they cranked out an average of 39 episodes per season hour-long episodes in the first few seasons, and Raymond Burr said he didn't have a life. Uh, yeah, And I can believe that. 39 <laughs> seasons, that's like six seasons or seven seasons worth of material for a typical uh, show these days, it seems like. Yeah, so, Joe, the question is, is the only guy on this panel that has a law degree, was Perry Mason inspirational to your wanting to be a lawyer? A little bit back when I was younger, you know, it was Perry Mason and then the paper chase, which was another one of our themes from yes. time in the past yes. couple of years. But but actually, um, the executive producer, Gail Patrick Jackson of uh, the Perry Mason 
program, went to law school for two years before dropping out and uh, pursuing a career in showbiz. The is another guy, Ben Brady, who was um, one of the lead producers, was a practicing attorney in New York before he got into the Hollywood scene. And Gene Wang, who was one of the uh, uh, key cast, uh, not cast members, but the script editor on the show, also had a law degree, which I didn't know. So they had people who certainly had legal backgrounds, and it was generally pretty well received by the American Bar Association. They actually awarded the show a civil, uh, silver gavel award in 1960, which is, is a pretty good endorsement. Now, obviously, melodrama, uh, not everything was probably the way it was going to play out in a real courtroom, obviously. I mean, but, but they did take pains to make sure that a lot of the technical terms they were using and the procedures that were shown were fairly accurate based on California criminal procedure at that time uh, in the late 60s or late 50s and early 60s. Uh, you didn't have a lot of the modern procedural due process that you do now, but I think it was fairly accurate for uh, what you would have seen in a typical California courtroom sure. back in that in that time. So good, good question. Yeah, yeah. So uh, kind of off topic, but on topic, uh, it, it kind of makes me very happy that the original Law and Order is back. Oh, um, yeah. On NBC. I, heard, I heard about that. Sam Waterston is, I think, coming back. Yes, that, right? he is. He is back on it. it. Yeah. First episode was last week. So it was uh, it was it was uh, it was great to see that because yeah, that was a, uh, you know, I thought that show w- was ended prematurely. Uh, Are they so it's still going to be ripped from the headlines and then, you know, they're going to do shows that kind of remind you of things that are exactly the same. Yep. I've got a few scripts they should throw out there about a political candidate who alleges that the election was stolen. <laughs> and I think we I think we've got a fraud case to prove there. And I think I think Waterston uh, McCoy is just the guy to try to make that stick if anybody can do it. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There I want to see, see how gutsy the show writers are now. Yeah. yeah. Plenty yeah. of material out yes. there now. Yes. Yes. No, no question That's about be it. interesting. Yeah. So uh, Perry Mason, your choice. Now uh, let's hear Jay's choice for the TV theme. His name's Mannix. Joe Mannix. AJ, your selection was Mannix. Uh, funny how we tend to choose all these cop shows or police procedurals. And it's funny, you know, Joe chose Perry Mason with Raymond Burr. I almost chose Ironside. <laughs> okay. Raymond Burr. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, they wore him out so much on Perry Mason that he ended up in a wheelchair. A tasteless joke of tasteless jokes <laughs> if there ever were one. So anyhow, Mannix, I always watched Mannix. And it's funny, now that I'm sitting here reading about the show, I had no idea that Joe Campanella was only in the first season. Mm. I mean, he made guest shots in other seasons. But Joe worked for uh, Mannix, worked for uh, like a tech company that used computers to determine things. And Joe, and, uh, Joe Campanella was his boss. And then he went out on his own. That didn't change, though. The theme of the show was that there was always a horrible, violent fight with Mannix and someone else, and someone always died. You know, I think that began with the whole Hawaii 5.0 thing where people always died at the beginning of the show. And so, you know, while the theme song is playing and we're watching it, there's a helicopter chasing Mannix across a bridge. I mean, because that happens every day. You know, <laughs> evil, evil people steal helicopters and chase private detectives. You know, so and, and the other the other cool thing, Mannix had an African-American woman as his assistant 
as Peggy. That was Gail Fisher. She was great in the role. And the backstory there was that her husband was a policeman who had been killed in the line of duty. So they had that in common working together. Um, the other thing was, and my parents always said this, you know, Mike Connors wore these old ratty raincoats, not unlike Columbo. Okay. But my mother would always tell me, yeah, that old ratty raincoat is probably a $350 raincoat that he's wearing. (laughs) You know, we just thought he was a, you know, a schlump who didn't take care of himself or buy nice clothes. Now, Mike Connors was a real good looking guy. Okay. He was the lead of this show. He was never the lead in any other show. I'm sure he was in some movies, but you would think, and Mannix ran for eight years from 67 to 75. One would think a good looking guy who, who played a great role in a cop show would have something else, like another Quinn Martin production or something. Yes. But we never really saw him again. And maybe that was his choice, but maybe, maybe that was he shot his wad and we never saw him again. Here's a great aside. Go ahead, Jeff. No, I was going to say, wasn't he the quintessential TV cop tough guy? Absolutely. And he was always looking for a fight. So I was reading up on the show, and I did not know this. Uh, in the late 60s, Bob and Ray, the comedy duo, had a radio show, and they did a takeoff on Mannix, and it was called Blimix. <laughs> and in Blimix, it was always the cop having a polite conversation with a suspect and they came to agree every time that the only solution was mayhem and the cop would beat the living crap out of the suspect. And that was the end of the episode. They did it every week. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's hysterical. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, and then also uh, a TV theme that uh, was composed by the same gentleman who did Mission Impossible. Absolutely. Lalo Schifrin. Yep. Maybe that's why when I chose that first, it just came to me. But again, I see Mannix on TV most nights on FETV or MeTV or one of those things, and I will stop and watch it. Yeah, I, I yeah, if I if I came across it, I probably would stop and watch it too. It's a uh, yeah, what a what a what a great choice there. Uh, again, Mike Connors. Yeah, yeah, I, that is the only thing you think of him from for sure. Yeah, I, I should IMDb him, but. Um, just to find out what the deal is. But yeah, that's it. I can't think of anything else he's been in. Yeah, let's see. I'm just uh, doing a quick Wikipedia look. Uh, you and me both. Let's see. Of course, I get Mike Connors' net worth. Yeah, he did a lot of movies. A lot of movie parts. So. Oh, yeah. What did Mike Connors do after Mannix? Today's FBI. Mm. 1982, one season. War and Remembrance, one season. He actually was in Two and a Half Men for one episode. Three episodes of Murder, She Wrote. Uh, that, that makes sense. And notice I did that in the past summer all. They. Oh, that was great. Did, did an episode of Walker, Texas Ranger. There you go. Okay. Wow. So, Okay. Hey, I have a, a Pat Summerall story, if you have a minute. Oh, please, please. I love Pat Summerall stories. So in the early 2000s, my radio station was the flagship for the Dallas Cowboys radio network, and yours truly was the executive producer, which is really weird for a Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> yes. Um, but it's okay. And so the first year that Parcells came, um, we decided – uh, you know, we had Randy Thomas from Miami was our voiceover person that we would pay to do all the voiceover stuff for the Cowboys pregame show and in game. And she's fantastic. She does the Academy Awards many years. But when uh, Parcells came here, Pat Summerall came to us and said he could get us Bill Parcells as a regular on our coverage of Cowboys. And he was the head coach. And so the first week, Pat sat down with Parcells and talked to him for 30 minutes. It was great, you know, because they were kind of buds anyhow. And, um, you know, we used it, chopped it up, used it in the pregame and postgame and all that stuff. And then uh, the next week we came back and Parcells said, oh, no, 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 no. I said I'd do it once. And so we had 
changed our voiceover person from Randy Thomas to Pat Summerall because he could get us Bill Parcells. And after that, he could no longer get us Bill Parcells. And we paid a lot of money for Pat Summerall to be our voiceover guy to read eight liners a week. Okay. So what we did was every Tuesday at the coaches uh, news conference, Christy Scales, the sideline reporter for the Cowboys and one of the best in the business, would record the entire news conference and she would bring it back and we would chop it up and we would ask the coach questions and use the actualities to answer them. So every week it still appeared that we had Bill Parcells. (laughs) The magic of editing and radio, right? Absolutely. (laughs) That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, guys, as always, fan, always appreciate it. And hopefully we can uh, talk again soon when actual baseball is taking place so that we can gripe and complain with all the things that are wrong on the field. (laughs) I think that's a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Jay and Joe, thanks again. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Does your dog itch, suffer from debilitating skin allergies, or trouble hot spots? We have the solution using the healing power of neem. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. Go to KramerSalve.net to order today with new low pricing. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E dot net. The second annual Apopka International Jazz Fest, starring Jeffrey Osborne with Hiroshima, D. Lucas, and Grammy Award winner Nestor Torres. Saturday, March 19th at the Apopka Amphitheater. For complete details and early bird tickets, log on to International Jazz Fest.com.